Welcome to Axios Pro Rata, a podcast that takes just 10 minutes to get you smarter on the collision of tech, business, and politics. I'm Dan Primack. On today's show, more shoes to drop in the college bribery scandal, and a big tech executive joins the meatless meat movement. But first, sad skies for Boeing. On Sunday, 157 people were killed when an Ethiopian Airlines plane crashed into the ground. It came just about five months after all 189 passengers of a Lion Air flight crashed into Indonesia's Java Sea. And it didn't take long for the world to notice that both doomed vehicles were the Boeing 737 MAX aircraft, which was only introduced two years ago. So governments around the world almost immediately began grounding the planes, which are flown by such airlines as Southwest, American, and United. But the U.S. government waited for several days, first agreeing with Boeing that there weren't systemic problems before finally reversing course yesterday. The big question now is if the 737 MAX has a fatal design flaw in its flight control system, and if so, how regulators missed it. The Wall Street Journal reports this morning that Boeing had already begun working on a fix based on preliminary data from the Indonesia crash, but that it wasn't slated to be rolled out until April. It would have been earlier, the article states, but the recent federal government shut down, quote, halted work on the fix for five weeks, end quote. That wasn't in President Trump's announcement yesterday of the FAA's decision. Boeing, understandably, has seen its stock price get hammered, losing nearly $28 billion in market cap since the Ethiopia crash, although, for context, its shares do still remain higher than where they began the year. Its reputation, though, has probably taken an even bigger hit. And as more facts come out, so might the reputations of those like U.S. Transportation Secretary Elaine Chao and acting FAA Administrator Daniel Elwell, whose jobs, their primary jobs, are to keep the flying public safe. In 15 seconds, we'll go deeper with pilot and aviation journalist Jeff Wise. But first, this. Axios Chief Technology Correspondent Ina Fried shares breaking news and analysis on the most consequential companies and players in tech. From the Valley to D.C. Subscribe to Get Smarter Faster at signup.axios.com. And now, back to the Pro Rata Podcast. We're joined now by Jeff Wise, a pilot, aviation journalist, and the author of a new book called The Taking of MH370. So, Jeff, let's just start with this. How unusual is it to have two fatal crashes, or even one fatal crash, just a couple of years after a new type of plane is introduced? Well, you know, it's not something that happens every day, so you can't really talk about it statistically. But, you know, by way of reference, the last plane that Boeing introduced, the 787, has never had a fatal accident. The plane that it introduced before that, the 777, went 18 years before the first fatal accident, and it, it didn't have a hull loss with fatalities uh, that were related to the plane itself really ever. So, yeah, this is really unusual and really bad. This is an interesting plane, right, in the sense of this isn't a, you know, this isn't like the Dreamliner was something like that. This isn't a brand new plane. It's almost like a retrofitted old plane, correct? The first 737 flew in 1967, and it's been a very successful plane, more than 10,000 made, but it's old, and it's really a plane of a different era. 52 years on, you know, it still has that aluminum construction, unlike the composite fibers you see in things like the 787 or the newer Airbus planes. It doesn't have fly-by-wire where you have electronic signals being sent to actuators uh, on the wings and tail and so forth, but you've got hydraulic fluid, uh, you know, like the brakes in your car. 
And so, you know, you can put lipstick on it, but it's still fundamentally an old plane. And, and what they did was try to maybe push this old design too far. And what they wound up with, uh, with was a plane that had some pretty undesirable flight characteristics that they thought they could get around by adding an automated control system that would kick in when needed. I've got a piece that's supposed to come out in the New York Times that basically addresses like why that can be dangerous because automation in a nutshell is great for keeping an eye on things. You know, it's, it, it never gets bored. Um, it can re- react in a split second. But there's times when, if it's fed faulty data, if some, something breaks, it can go haywire, and it can act in ways that are surprising, hard to figure out. And so there is a, a small but inherent and difficult to avoid danger in automated systems. The black boxes from the Ethiopia air crash have now been recovered and are starting to be analyzed. What's the primary thing you would want to know from them? What you want to do as an air crash investigator is to look at the totality of all the data and and try to understand what happened, why did it happen, and what can we do to make sure it doesn't happen again. And and so really a clarity of the, the understanding of all the factors. And typically what you've got is not just one thing happening, but multiple things happening, each of which might be unusual. There's millions of flights that happen around the world, every you know, not every day, but you know, tens of thousands of flights every day. And so for something to go wrong, you know, it, it's like sort of buying two lottery tickets and hitting both of them, but in an unlucky sense, right? Particularly if the pilots, and we don't know this, if the pilots in the Ethiopia crash, you would assume they were aware of what happened with the Lion Air crash. So you would think in theory, if something similar was happening with the plane, they would have tried the kind of manual fix that was prescribed after that. You would hope so, but human beings are fallible. And when you're in a stressful situation, it's hard to do that kind of creative thinking to, to, to use your frontal cortex. We tend to revert to a kind of primal state. I wrote a book called Extreme Fear, The Science of Your Mind in Danger, which kind of addresses exactly this. Our creative intellectual thinking shuts down. It might not sound like a big deal. Oh, the, you know, the plane starts to pitch down a certain number of degrees. It can be quite terrifying if it happens unexpectedly. And, you know, you get that kind of hot flash of panic. And, you know, I think there's a game show that's coming out where they're strapping people into like this kind of tumbly, turny thing. And so they toss people around and ask them quiz questions that are not that hard to answer, but when you're getting tossed around, you're in this kind of what they call cognitive tunneling state where it's really hard to think. The FAA yesterday grounds the 737 MAX fleet, but that was, you know, well after it was done by virtually every other country. From your perspective, did the U.S. wait too long? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's embarrassing. You have to have a culture of safety first, and you have to live that. The United States has achieved such a reputation for preeminence in aviation through the efforts of manufacturers like Boeing, the FAA, the NTSB. It takes years to build a reputation. It takes minutes to ruin it. And when, you know, the the whole world is saying, we're not comfortable with this plane. We don't want to get on this plane. The FAA and Boeing are saying, oh, no, no, it's fine. It's fine. Trust us. That is an untenable position. It's a damaging position. The other part I'm trying to understand, this was from this journal story this morning, talking about how Boeing was already working on this fix. And I guess got delayed because the government shut down. The mandate was it didn't have to be finished until April. But if Boeing is already working on a fix to the flight control system, they and the FAA know there's a problem with the flight control system. To play devil's advocate, I get probably what they would say is something like, it was still very, very safe. There was still very little chance that something would go wrong, and we wanted to make that chance even smaller. Manufacturers and regulators are in kind of a bind in the sense that air travel is 
ridiculously safe. You're in more danger driving to the airport than you are on the, you know, the flight wherever you're going. But at the same time, people demand a ridiculous level of safety. A crash, you know, immediately is going to go on the evening news. It's going to go all over the internet. Uh, it's going to be a very visible event. It's going to be something that horrifies people. It has an impact out of scale to, to what it is. You know, you get people dying of smoking or, or, you know, other preventable diseases left, right, and center, and people don't care, but people really don't want to die in a plane crash. And so they're left in the kind of unenviable position of trying to reduce an already really tiny accident rate. But when you've got something like this, which seems like a really obvious weak spot, you can't just sit there and say, no, 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 trust us, because people don't trust you. And you, when you say that, they trust you even less. Jeff Wise, thank you so much for joining us. My final two, right after this. There's more news out there than ever before, but these days, it's harder than ever to find it and to know what to trust. Axios AM takes the effort out of getting smart by synthesizing the 10 stories that will drive the day and telling you why they matter. And now, back to the Pro Rata Podcast. <laughs> Now it's time for my final two, and first up is the latest in the college admissions bribery scandal, which we focused on during yesterday's show. Rick Singer, the scheme's mastermind, yesterday told a federal court that he helped 761 kids cheat their way into school, even though there were only a few dozen kids referenced in Monday's indictments. So that means lots of sleepless sweating right now in places like Silicon Valley, Los Angeles, and Greenwich, Connecticut. Also, I interviewed a wealthy investor yesterday who says he hired Singer for legitimate college coaching services, but that he was eventually offered the so-called side door, which he says he refused. The full story is now up on Axios, but the investor tells me, quote, one thing you need to know about Singer is that he's prickly and he can flip real fast, but you're trying to use him to help your kids. So you end up being extra nice because you don't want him to be mad. That might be why some people don't just immediately tell him to get lost when he begins with these side door things. You're maintaining a relationship. And finally, Dennis Woodside, a former Motorola executive who most recently helped take Dropbox public as its chief operating officer, has joined meatless burger maker Impossible Foods as its first president. This comes as Impossible Foods rival Beyond Meat prepares its own IPO and shows how Silicon Valley doesn't always view disruption through the lens of software and semiconductors. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producers, Adam Gracia and Tim Shovers, have a great National Potato Chip Day. And we'll be back on Monday with another Pro Rata Podcast.